The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? When you experience trauma at any point in your life, but especially in the first seven years Years. or even up to the first 12 years, Mm -hmm. your limbic system in your brain actually gets damaged and those traumas get stored there. And what happens is later in life, you get triggered by things, whether consciously or unconsciously, and that sets you in this limbic system trauma loop where your body is constantly flooding you with adrenaline and cortisol inappropriately um, in situations that don't call for that level of chemical download for protection, right? So going back to pre-domestication, you run into someone from an opposing tribe and there's a standoff and, you know, the threat of violence or even there there is violence or uh, you become prey for, you know, uh, animals out in the wild, etc. And then your nervous system activates in order to protect you. And then that threat subsides and you're able to recover and move on with your life. But because of the way we live, especially those of us that live in cities, we have this trauma that's never healed or worked out of our bodies and never healed in our physical brain. And then we continue to live in an environment and create relationships and patterns out of that initial trauma that continues to traumatize us. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Luke's story. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of funny um, background on how I actually met Luke, but he is a motivational speaker, kundalini yoga and meditation teacher, a world-class biohacker, the host of one of my favorite podcasts, The Lifestylist, and the founder of the world's premier online fashion school for stylists, School of Style, which he founded in 2008. Luke is such a badass. He's someone that I really look up to in the world of recovery. He's just doing his own thing, figuring out what works for him. And hey, it's working because he's got over 20 years of sobriety now. So he's kicking ass. Um, And we have very similar childhoods. So I just really admire him for doing the work. I understand how easy it is after many years of living with my head in the sand, pretending that nothing is really going on when all of this trauma is bubbling up. And I had to literally get to the point where my body was screaming no. And, you know, in a place of dis-ease or disease to finally get my head out of said sand and do something about it. Um, and so Luke's the real deal. He's not just talking the talk. He is walking the walk. He comes on the podcast today and we dive into his personal story, um, into biohacking and, uh, and actually into how we met, which was interesting. I was 17 working as a music video girl for a Marilyn Manson music video and he styled us. Um, I did not recall that or know that, (laughs) and I'm an avid listener to his podcast and follow him on social media, but I did not know that until uh, I commented on one of his posts a few weeks ago 
I'm listening, you guys. I've been trying to get him on this podcast for a while now. Uh, and it clicked for him and he realized that uh, I was who I was. Um, and I guess he went on a date with Tess, but that might be a story for another time. I did not know that either. Anyways, um, Luke is an all-around awesome guy. His podcast is incredible. If you guys aren't listening to it already, you should be. And with that, let's just dive into this week's episode with Luke's story. Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about one of my favorite things in the whole world, which is cured nutrition, CBD. If you've been following along with me, I don't know, for the last year or so, then you know that I'm a huge fan of cured nutrition. Not only a fan of the product, but also of the owners and their commitment to creating an amazing product that is free of anything harmful is just something that's totally in alignment with who I am. And you guys know I don't mess around. I don't share stuff with you that isn't the real deal. CBD is most commonly incorporated into wellness regimens to improve sleep, decrease inflammation, and reduce the body's stress load. Cured Nutrition's mushroom plus CBD blends, tinctures, and treats work with your body's natural system to produce clear benefits without the worry of a psychoactive component. Plus, how many other companies can say that their products are locally sourced and crafted in-house? Not many. Each cured product is third-party tested for potency, purity, and the absence of harmful contaminants like microbials, pesticides, and heavy metals. Fully aligned with complete transparency, they've even published these details directly on their website. I'm going to tell you guys the deets of what I'm loving from Cured Nutrition right now. I take their Zen Nighttime Blend every night before bed, along with their tinctures throughout the day. I'm also a big fan of the dog treats and give them to my pup on a regular basis. Right now, you can go to curednutrition.com and enter promo code Alexa. Texas 25 at checkout for 25% off your purchase of $50 or more. That's curednutrition.com with the promo code Alexis25 at checkout for 25% off your purchase of $50 or more. As a parent, do you ever wish someone could just whisper some realistic and trustworthy support in your ear and not make you feel awful for not having all the answers? Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, developmental psychologist, parent educator, clinical professor, and I'm a mom. My goal is to make your parenting journey less overwhelming and a lot more joyful. Please join me every Friday for new episodes of Raising Good Humans. What a mind fuck this is. I've been trying to get Luke. I mean, when I had like my vision board of what this podcast would look like, you were a guest, Brene Brown, like Joe Dispenza. I had like, you know, these are my goals, right? That's, that's really good company. I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I had attempted emailing and all this stuff. And then one day I decided I'm just going to comment on this post that you had put up. And you're like, holy shit, I styled you on a Marilyn Manson music video and I think it was at least 11 years ago because I'm nine years sober now. And it must have been at least two years before that. So what a small, small world that is. And at that point, you were already in recovery. Oh, yeah, for a long time. Oh, yeah. wow. So you saw yeah. our chaos. Yeah, I sensed that, <laughs> you you and the sister. Yeah. Um, I mean, that 
That video, though, for those listening, if you want to check it out, you might be able to spot Alexis in a cameo. It's called, uh, <laughs> the song is called Arma Goddamn Motherfucking Geddon. That's what it's called. Yes. yes. And I, I have it and, I, and I'm so familiar with that video, not only for from participating in the creative process of making it, but I use that as an example in my uh, classes at a company I own called School of Style. I also feel like Manson kind of directs his own videos. He doesn't really need a director. I remember him standing on top of this like stair lift thing and he was like, again and again and again. Yeah. And we're just going to keep doing this take until he feels good about it. And there was no arguing. You know, you just do what you're told. Yeah. And that was when he feels good about it is like 20 hours in (laughs) (laughs) when it's the next day. I remember crawling out of that place. I'd been doing loads of cocaine all night. I brought, I think, at least an eight ball with me and I had been sharing with everyone and uh, crawling into my car and just going like, I don't think I can physically drive right now. And they were all talking about an after party and going back to his place. And I was like, I need IHOP like yesterday. I need food. I need coffee. And I need to get this cocaine out of my system. That was a crazy so time. So imagine, imagine that at that time, I'm, I can't do the math that well, but let's say, I don't know, 12 years yeah, sober. Yeah, you're sober. Something. Oh, and I'm like fully committed, like all in, you know, yeah. Mr. The poster boy of recovery at that time. And so, yeah, working working with him was really interesting. I was just reflecting on that with my girlfriend yesterday, actually, uh, for some reason, maybe because I was doing this, it came up. And, oh, no, I know why, because we were driving on Santa Monica Boulevard, and he used to live on top of the liquor store. Mm. Uh, he doesn't live there anymore, so I can put Say him on that. blast. But, yeah, yeah on, <laughs> on um, La Cienega and uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, and yeah. it was the weirdest place. I think Billy Zane owned it or or does. And so Manson lived there and I was driving by. I was like, oh my God, that's so funny. I used to do fittings right there. And I was telling my girlfriend about it. And that went into kind of the story of what it was like to work in a in an organization that was very not sober. Very at the time. not sober. And I remember <clears throat> this is the time he was dating Evan. Mm-hmm. She was there. And I also remember he had us all painted like dead zombies, like white with veins exposed and all of this stuff. And then he goes, no, I hate it. Change everybody into. <laughs> yeah. And the makeup, poor makeup artists who had just been airbrushing our entire naked bodies for like four hours were like, wipe it all off. Like, like that's it. And he's like, yeah, I don't like it. And this Ugh. explains why I retired from that career. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine the stress. Yeah. Um, but I like to go way, way back if you're comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with what anything was and everything. Your childhood like? Let me do the abbreviated version of it in the interest of time because I'm 49 and, you know, there's been a lot of years since then. Um, yeah. So when I go back sometimes, it's like, whoa, okay, too much detail. The essence of it was this um, mom born and raised in Berkeley, California. She hates when I call her a hippie, so I won't call her a hippie, but she burned incense and, you know, played the Eagles and what, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. she was, she was a quasi hippie. She says, no, I was a mod. Like, please don't offend me. Hippies were dirty and slept in the park. So, okay. Uh, but, you know, she was, she was crunchy and, you know, into rock and roll and, you know, wore floral dresses and all that stuff. Um, so she goes to Colorado, meets my dad in Aspen. Uh, my dad was a like 100% hardcore cowboy hunter fisher just rugged colorado man he looked like the marlboro man like he was that that was him um th- which i'm sure was very romantic for my mom you know so they they fell in love and had me i was born in denver and then um they divorced when i think i was three and then my mom split with me and took me to 
conquered California. And then I lived in um, Northern California, eventually Sonoma County, um, until I was about 13. And um, childhood for me was really tumultuous and traumatic um, in the sense that both of my parents had their own individual challenges going on. And um, the environments in which I was brought up were um, how do I say it? <laughs> Not conducive to a healthy uh, childhood, you know? And so I experienced a lot of trauma and abuse and um, not necessarily at the hands of my parents, but just in the environments I was. You know, Northern California at that time where I lived, yeah. there was like in the neighborhood, there were what would now be called cholos. At the time they were called lowriders. And then there was a lot of bikers. And so it was like this confluence of, um, you know, those cultures and there was a lot of drugs in the environment. It was... Uh, the 70s. And so a lot of the, the hippies and the drug culture had moved out of the hate in San Francisco and sort of migrated into Sonoma and Mendocino and grew weed. And there was just really heavy kind of drug culture. And so um, my experience was to thank God, I figured out how to self-medicate and drugs were so prevalent that I became addicted to drugs really young. So I started experimenting with pretty much all the drugs, except I don't think I found heroin at that time, although I could have used it. Would have been a good painkiller. Yeah. Um, I found that years later when I moved to Hollywood in short order. But uh, yeah, I just got really, really into the drugs and just had a lot of behavioral problems and uh, was breaking into houses and was just nuts by the time I was 13. So my mom couldn't deal with me anymore. It was just too much. She had her own things going on that she was dealing with. And uh, shipped me out to my dad's in Colorado because he's, you know, tough cowboy. Yeah, she's like, okay, what, you know, whip him into shape, <laughs> yeah. get him together. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, poor, poor mom. I mean, I don't know what I would have done with a kid like me. I was just kicked out of school constantly. I mean, it was just insane. Mm -hmm. And um, shipped me out to dad's in hopes that his you know, strong arm could um, show me some discipline and get me back in line. And that failed completely because he, you know, we had a very sort of estranged relationship when I was a kid and he had his stuff going on. So uh, pretty soon after moving out there, I got arrested and uh, got, was, <laughs> it's a great story, but it's a long one. But anyway, I broke into someone's house and they came home when I was in there and caught me. And so I got taken to the Pitkin County Courthouse jail in Aspen. And that was my first First and actually first and only arrest, remarkably. I can't believe I have a clean uh, criminal record because that was before I was 18. So I would have been like 14 at that time. Then um, my dad was in the same position that if my mom was like, this kid is screwed up. I don't know what to do about it. I love him, but like, I can't help him. I was just incorrigible. And so um, they decided to send me to this school called Rocky Mountain Academy, which was way up in Northern Idaho. And it was a kind of it was all of these uh, sort of therapeutic modalities that were popular. This would have been the early 80s. Was it more like behavioral modification yes. or was it like what you would consider Malibu rehab? No, it wasn't a rehab because they didn't really address drug problems. They mm -hmm. addressed psychological problems, emotional issues, things like that. I mean, it was a different paradigm. So words like trauma weren't used. But essentially it was about like uncovering your pure inner child and undoing all of the experiences in your life that led you to get in all of this trouble, you know? So there's a lot of experiential therapy and group therapy and role playing and all sorts of different therapeutic models that were popular at the time. And then there was a huge wilderness element to it too. So there were like wilderness excursions where they would uh, throw you out in the woods for three days by yourself and you'd have to build a snow cave. It was called a solo and just really extreme things like that. And um, it was very kind of culty and weird, uh, to the point where 
adults now from my generation, um, many of them refer to themselves as survivors of Rocky Mountain Academy. There's, I think there's a Facebook group still, uh, rather than alumni. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of kids are very traumatized by their experimental yeah. uh, operation. But for me, it was the first time I ever felt safe and held and protected. And I got sober because I was in the middle of the woods. There was no choice but to be sober. If you ran away, they would send a, a kitty bounty hunter after you and drag your ass back there. And if that didn't work, they'd send you to a lockup. This this place didn't have locked doors. It was just so remote that you couldn't escape. Uh, but that really saved my life in the, in the first sense that I, I developed an understanding of some fundamental spiritual principles. And there was a lot of sort of um, personal development work in that. It was reminds me of almost some of the things Tony Robbins does um, in that sense. And so it was very empowering, very grounding, and I kind of found myself and I experienced what it was like to feel safe probably for the first time. But when I got out of there, uh, I wasn't educated around addiction and the phenomenon of craving. I just knew that morally I shouldn't do drugs when I got out, but I didn't know that if I took one hit off a joint within two weeks, I'd be snorting coke, drinking every night and doing acid at 17 or whatever, you know? Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about my new haircut. I'm just kidding. I'm here to talk to you guys about the products that I'm using for my new haircut because all of you guys have been DMing me, asking me, how do I get these perfect, undone, textured beach waves? And that's where the Way brand comes in. Way was created by celebrity hairstylist Jen Atkin. New York Times calls her the most influential hairstylist in the world. She wanted to create the first socially connected hair care brand to drive the conversation and innovation in hair, simplified hair routines, and realistic hair goals that you can actually achieve. Shampoo and conditioners are all problem solution-based, and there are so many options to choose from, but most people have multiple concerns that they want to address. All people want the same outcome, healthier hair. I mean, isn't that the truth? We all want that healthy, shiny, bouncy hair. Way wanted to simplify how you shop for your daily care. Each formula is created to be one and done solution for your hair type to give you the healthiest, most manageable hair ever. So they created new shampoos and conditioners for fine, medium, and thick hair. Bonus, the packaging is all eco-friendly. I am obsessed with the medium shampoo and conditioner. I do have thick hair, but my individual strands are actually quite fine. So the medium one works perfect for me. It cleanses and nourishes my hair to leave it feeling soft, shiny, and frizz-free. They use babusu oil that smooths it and adds shine and then coconut oil to strengthen and hydrate. It's color-safe, sulfate-free, cruelty-free, and they use sustainable packaging. Such a huge bonus for me. Shop these new shampoos and conditioners for fine, medium, thick hair at theway.com. That's spelled O-U-A-I. And don't forget to use code REALITY to receive three free samples with your order. Now back to the episode. Kind of a downward spiral from 16 to 26 when I eventually got sober. I moved to Hollywood when I was 19 after dropping out of high school and uh, started playing in bands and just hanging around with all these older people and 
somehow connected with a lot of musicians that I really looked up to, people that I had their posters on my wall when I was a teenager. It was just like I just got thrown right into the belly of the beast. And it was incredibly fun and exhilarating. And I was I had a lot of older girlfriends that <laughs> took me under their wing. I was a cute kid, you know, and that was the uh, the period of brief innocence of moving to Hollywood and that, you know, playing in bands and things. And then that really started to devolve through the early 90s. And I mean, you're from Southern California. You probably remember you're a bit younger, but this is the LA riots, the Northridge earthquake, Rodney King. Um, you know, it was just a really weird time in Hollywood and it was much different than a lot of a lot of gangs and a lot of crack. And it was just like a really kind of gnarly period to live where I live, which was right behind the Chinese theater in Hollywood. And so uh, life quickly devolved and I got really heavily into the drugs that don't have an upside. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it kind of deluded myself that I was just kind of a stoner because I would smoke heroin and think, well, well you know, I'm not really a junkie, even though like a couple hours without it, I'm dope sick and the whole thing, you know. And um, eventually I just really hit a great bottom. Thank God, I'm so grateful for that. And I, I reached out to my mom for help and she helped get me in a treatment center and I went there. And um, I just had a really profound spiritual experience the first day. I prayed really sincerely for the first time in my life. And um, in that moment, I was what I think is forever relieved of the obsession to drink and use as a way to cope with my problems. And so I fully committed and surrendered to that and to a program of recovery when I left. And I was deeply committed to that for many years and just very involved. And of course, now am on a different kind of level. And then when I got out, I realized how sick I was spiritually, of course. So that's where 12-step work comes in and meditation and prayer and service mm -hmm. and amends and all those great fundamental spiritual principles that I learned over the years to embody. But what I also realized very quickly was how physically toxic and sick I was. So began my journey into what's now called biohacking. There was no name for it at the time. It was just, you're called a health nut. You hang out at the health yeah. food store and eat bee pollen smoothies and do colonics and infrared saunas and ionic foot baths and make your own kombucha and all the stuff that was kind of the 90s, you know, version yeah. of that. Herbalism, fasting, juicing. Chinese medicine doctors. Yeah, all acupuncture. that. Acupuncture. Acupuncture, yeah. That yeah. whole journey. And then um, I just started feeling so much better and better now. It's been, you know, in February 15th, which maybe even after um, or before this comes out or after, I'm not sure, but um, it'll be 23 years since that happened. Mm. And and there's a long journey since that, but that was kind of the early life and the trajectory of trauma and the, how that shaped my how that shaped my karma or or the inverse of that perhaps a or little about dharma and created yeah. your dharma your your life's purpose your mission yeah your you've navigated because now you're turning something that you love that you figured out oh this works for me into a career and you're educating people which I think you know that's kind of when you hit, hit that sweet spot, at least for me. It's like when I turn that karma into a dharma, into my purpose, into doing this work, and it's helping people, and it's such an amazing thing. I really want to dive into the biohacking stuff. For anybody who's unfamiliar, um, and we were talking about this before we started, my mom was kind of like an OG biohacker, you guys. And so I get questions a lot, um, especially there's that infamous Nancy Joe moment where I'm melting down on the phone on my show. I mean, the meme is still showed everywhere 10 years later, and it's hilarious. But my mom's walking around having a meltdown 
as am I, but she's wearing like the tens unit on her ears. And um everyone's always like, What what were those <laughs> things on your mom's ears? I love those. And so I grew up in a house too where we had life-size Buddhas and incense going and I'd run away to ashrams when things at home got too intense and we would be doing cold plunges and and uh, jumping on trampolines when we were eight years old and doing the infrared hot domes and chi machines to drain our lymph and all of this stuff like when we were little kids. And everybody in our town thought that we were the biggest weirdos ever. I mean, we were the house where it was like, you're not allowed to go to Alexis's house. So they have life-size Buddhas and like huge, like my mom had an entire garage full of all of this stuff. So people would come by and most people would pull into their garage and walk into their house. But my house was set up as like a biohacking den in the garage. It was crazy. So my mom's been talking about EMFs and don't sleep with your cell phone in your room and all of this stuff like since we were little kids. And I think um, it's funny because what I've found is is a lot of people who dive into that work um, are really missing the what the 12 steps provides us, which is this healing emotionally from the trauma. They're feeling sick or anxious. They're dealing with depression, maybe bipolar, and they're looking for alternative treatments. And so they get into more of like the biohacking thing and maybe they'll feel better for a little while. But if you're not actually looking, and this sums up my mom in a nutshell, at the emotional need to heal and that trauma, then you're going to play whack-a-mole for the rest of your life. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah, it's um, it's all of the health practices and what's now called biohacking can really serve in many ways as a distraction and even a block to doing the inner work because you're trying to fix something that's an internal problem and oftentimes has nothing to do with the physical realm. Yeah. It's a spiritual sickness and um, and I myself have done this, so you think you can supplement your way out of... I've done it too. <laughs> out of your, you know, the results yeah. of whatever trauma you've experienced, essentially. Yeah. Um, so that's one way. Then the other way is just, you know, meditating all day, every day, and then still drinking Diet Coke and mm -hmm. sleeping with your cell phone under your pillow and doing all those things that make it really difficult for your nervous system and your biology to get on board with your yeah. spiritual path. And so for me, it's always been about, um, not so much now, I think I'm just... I just accepted I'm just all in on all levels with it because I'm yeah. just all about healing. And as you said, I've turned a career, um, turned that into a career. Uh, but it's, I think it's really important to create the balance and also to sort yourself out physically, but know that the physical part is only so that you can do the spiritual work yeah. and have the energy and the clarity with which to, um, you know, work on the inner mission. Yeah. My husband and I own a drug treatment center where we... Um, we pride ourselves on being non-12-step based and and really all about. And I pride myself on that specifically just because I don't think anyone should be paying or anyone's parents should be paying 50 grand for AA. I don't think that that's right. I think that sure, you should have an introduction to AA and if that works for you, great or smart recovery or whatever it might be. But we really saw that there needed to be a facility that dealt with mind, body, and spirit. And so much of my childhood was about my mom trying all of these and buying very expensive, I mean, very, very expensive machines and different things to biohack with 
um, in order to not deal with the emotional aspect that needed to be done. And it wasn't really until, so I got sober and had two kids and everything seemed fine. And then all of a sudden I started having what we thought was maybe multiple sclerosis, what we thought was, you know, an anxiety and panic disorder. All of these things started to come up for me. And so I drove right into like my biohacking stuff. You know, I've got my, I did TMS, I did EMDR. I was, I only eat a paleo diet. I'm healing my gut. I'm doing, I'm seeing all these healers. I'm doing Chinese medicine, acupuncture, draining my lymph, all of these things that I'm doing, right? And I'm, like I said, playing whack-a-mole. Like I'll deal with one symptom and then something else will pop up and something else will pop up. And it wasn't really until this last year that I realized that it was my trauma moving around in my body. And it and yeah. it really was. It was Absolutely. like it moved from my brain to my gut to my liver. When my liver flared up, all of a sudden my liver enzymes were up on blood work. And I was like, what is going on? And it was literally just trauma moving through. And then I started working with this amazing healer in LA who started teaching me this specific type of breathing that gets you in your heart into a state where you actually can receive healing. And then the goal began to remain in that state all day long and your body will just heal itself. As parents, we want to encourage our children to pursue their dreams and provide opportunities that give them the best chance to succeed. Sometimes that means optimizing their routine, making it more flexible, more dynamic, so they have more time to focus on the things they love. That's why there's Laurel Springs. Laurel Springs is an accredited online private school for students in kindergarten through 12th grade. Laurel Springs recognizes that each child is a unique individual with their own personal interests, special talents, and unique learning style. Their flexible learning program offers challenging and diverse elective courses. And Laurel Springs is accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges and Advanced ED, which means their transcripts are recognized by colleges and universities worldwide. I personally was homeschooled in the later years of my life, and it was exactly what I needed as someone who has more of that artistic brain, that kinesthetic learning ability. I needed to get out of the traditional school system. And now, as the mother of a seven-year-old who is in first grade, who is showing signs of being the same way I have thought and considered for the last couple of years, pulling her out of traditional education and moving her towards a homeschool program that would allow her to get the educational requirements that she needs to flourish in a school environment and to be able to achieve what her goals are outside of school, such as dance and her love for jujitsu. Right now, you can register your child at laurelsprings.com slash reality today and receive a waived registration fee. That's laurelsprings.com slash reality for your waived registration fee. laurelsprings.com slash reality. Now back to the episode. And so the biohacking stuff is really fun. And I'd love to jump into like your top 10 favorite biohacks. Um, but I also just want to say that it can be really simple too. And you talk about this, like if you're eating well, getting good sleep and exercising, 
you're probably going to be just fine and live a very long, happy life on this planet. Yeah, I think with the physical stuff, it's about, well, there's a couple different ways to look at it. Let me try to put it simply. It's, of course, stopping doing the things that are harming your body, learning what those are. Many people just don't know. They they don't realize just how toxic tap water is or um, the fact that, you know, there really is an inherent danger to EMF exposure, especially acute levels of it and cleaning up your environment in that way and being exposed to blue light or artificial light, not only at night, but even during the day and all of that. And so you sort of adjust your life to stop harming yourself. And then depending on how damaged you've been as a result of your lifestyle choices in the past, there is some work to be done in healing that. But once you're at a base level, to me, the main problem that we face physically is just the fact that we're indoors. I mean, it's that simple. Mm. When human beings invented electricity and moved, had the ability to spend more time indoors and settled in cities. And, you know, this is of course like post agriculture, but that's kind of where it began actually. Um, when we were hunter gatherer people, we spent all of our time outside in nature in alignment with the elements. And when we cut ourselves off from the elements and then added the ability to be indoors, completely isolated from our environment, that is that sort of energy of spirit that fulfills us physically uh, that's where we start to break down. So I run the gamut of the, as you said, like some of those really expensive devices and the supplements. I mean, I don't even know how much I've tried to tally up how much I've spent or how much shit I, I have at my house. Know. You know? I don't even want to know. My husband gets, I get a package on my doorstep and he goes, I get like, what, what yeah. is this? And, but that said, you're, you're right. When it comes down to it, I'm going to get so many inquiries from people that say, oh, I can't afford all that stuff. What can I, you know, what can I do? I can't heal. And it's like, dude, meditation, breath work, hot and cold exposure, um, you know, obviously not eating poison, which is any food that's not organic. Um, for me, a more paleo diet is what works for my body. I have friends that are plant-based. They seem to be doing fine. It didn't work for me. I tried that for many years. Um, but it really is just more about the environment. And once you get that sorted out, it's really, as you said, that trauma starts moving around your body. And then you're going to reach this point, or many of us do, where you're like, shit, I'm not doing anything that harms my body. I'm doing all of these practices that are supposed to heal me and restore me, but something is amiss. And I've experienced this, oh my God, over and over again. And what I've really started to learn is that when you experience trauma at any point in your life, but especially in the first seven years, years or even up to yep. the first 12 mm -hmm. years, your limbic system in your brain actually gets damaged and those traumas get stored there. And what happens is later in life, you get triggered by things, whether consciously or unconsciously, and that sets you in this limbic system trauma loop where your body is constantly flooding you with adrenaline and cortisol inappropriately. Um, in situations that don't call for that level of chemical download for protection, right? So going back to pre-domestication, you run into someone from an opposing tribe and there's a standoff and, you know, the threat of violence or even there there is violence or uh, you become prey for, you know, uh, animals out in the wild, et cetera. And then your nervous system activates in order to protect you. And then that threat subsides and you're able to recover and move on with your life. But because of the way we live, especially those of us that live in cities, we have this trauma that's never healed or worked out of our bodies and never healed in our physical brain. 
And then we continue to live in an environment and create relationships and patterns out of that initial trauma that continues to traumatize us. And that's really, I think, what the the sick cosmic joke of trauma is, right? If you're traumatized as a kid, you're then familiar with what that feels like in your brain when your limbic system's on fire. And so you're going to subconsciously draw relationships, environments, and experiences that fit that lock. Mm -hmm. You're going to find the keys. And so you're going to pick partners and jobs and make choices that further perpetuate that trauma. And that's when you get in that limbic system trauma loop. And there's really no way out of that until you start to unpack the initial trauma. And in so doing, and there's multiple ways we can talk about doing that because I've I've had so many success stories with different modalities. But where I'm arriving now is just becoming so clear that the healing really starts on the inside. And if physical symptoms are persisting when you're doing everything, quote, end quotes, right, mm-hmm. in terms of your lifestyle, then you have things that you haven't dealt with. Yeah. And um, and there's a lot of ways that those can be healed. And I think it's kind of a lifelong process, yeah. you know, that, that thing. For those of us, like sounds like you share with me, um, that have really been hurt, you yeah. know, when we were young. And then we, it's just crazy. And then, and then we... You know, in my own case, it's like, so I was hurt by, you know, perpetrators, right? I was really victimized in many ways when I was a kid. And um, it's just, it was just the way things rolled. And so what I did with that was get into this very destructive lifestyle to deal with that trauma unknowingly, because there was no other place to go with it. And then traumatize myself for a good 10 years, right? By putting myself in harm. Yeah, we become our own perpetrators. Totally. Yeah, I talk about that all the time when I used to work with sponsees. And I'd be like, all right, you owe yourself an amends. Like, list it all, you know, let's look at your relationship with yourself and all of the other things that you've done to harm yourself because of your trauma that you haven't dealt with. And so my sponsor, I remember her asking me, she goes, how are you responsible for, you know, what's your responsibility? My, I have a, I was being raped when I was five. And so Damn. she goes, what, well, what's your responsibility in there? And I remember feeling angry. Like, what, do you, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I, I was a helpless child, you know, and it went on for years. And she goes, no, it's because you never dealt with it. Then you went out into the world and you started traumatizing yourself and people around you. And it's like, that's your responsibility. You've got to own that part of it. I can often feel here I am nine years later and occasionally things will come up, right? Trauma will reemerge. Re- <laughs> you know, it's, it's ugly head pops up and I imagine it's like a little gremlin and he's like, hey, like I'm still here just letting you know. And you're like, oh, I've done so much work on this. But what I've realized in this last year of sobriety is that pain is our is our friend. It's actually a great teacher. And when I can actually have a relationship with my pain instead of trying to get it to go away all the time of like, oh, I need to process this out and I need to do all this work right now and I can't have this in me. But instead when I'm like, oh, hey, friend, like you're here to teach me something. Like what is this? Um, and my meditation practice and I know that you're a big fan of Joe Dispenza too, shifted this year when I started doing his work. What used to be just let's get quiet, let's get really present in my body, breath work, all of that is great. But when I actually started doing his work, that's when I felt the, you know, I'd I'd done therapy for years and all these different modalities and I had everything 
really organize and compartmentalize. I knew I'm like, okay, so this is the point where it happened and this is what happened after and this is how my body shut down and I like logically knew all of this stuff. But when I really dove into the spiritual practice, started working with Uta, my spiritual counselor and doing the Joe Dispenza work, I finally felt like I was dropping the bags, you know, like the boxes were all organized, but I was still carrying around the boxes. And I think that his work is an amazing tool to really let it heal. Yeah, I agree. Finally. It would be one of my my top modalities too, which is funny because I, I recently just, I, I've known about him on the radar and I remember when What the Bleep came out, I was really into that. And that was the whole like quantum physics, create your own reality sort of moment there in the new age community, for lack of a better term. And uh I was dating someone that started to listen to his stuff and was super into it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. It's just another Eckhart Tolle. You know, there's a million of them. They're all great. But yeah. it's like I wasn't in a big hurry. And then, I don't know, somehow I just was called and uh, got a couple of his audio books. And then I was like, oh, I need these meditations. And then downloaded those and then ended up having the opportunity to interview him recently. And mm. um, and then signed up for his upcoming February um like it's by Palm Springs called Indian Wells, uh, like his week long intensive yeah. thing where all these crazy miracles happen and stuff. But yeah, I've been doing his stuff. And what's interesting about it is, <laughs> and I, and I asked him this and he affirmed it, but it's really Kundalini yoga. I mean, mm -hmm. that's like, that's what Joe Dispenza does. And I asked him that in the interview, I hope hopefully in a respectful way, but yeah. I was like, Joe, you, you know, you have this stuff that you do where you activate what you call the energy centers, which are the chakras, of course, and, um, you know, holding your breath and tensing those lower three and shooting the energy up into your brain and activating the, the pineal, pineal gland. gland. Yes. Yeah, oh my I, God, that meditation mm. is so profound. It's sick, yeah. I feel like I'm on an acid trip. By the end of it, I open my eyes and I'm like, oh my God, like the room is brighter. This yeah. is what living is really like. These are ancient practices yes. that have been around for thousands of years. And uh, and when I asked him about that, he said, well, yeah, but that your average person is going to walk into a Kundalini yoga class and, and freak go, oh out. Oh my it's God, just, this is for lunatics. Yeah. And yeah. so what he's done, I think, is so brilliant is he's standardized. And not that he's just lifted everything from a practice. I mean, obviously he has an incredible education and, and a breadth of experience that he's added to that. And I mean, he's built something really incredible. Uh, but at the core of some of those, not all, but some of those practices are the yogic practices that have been around forever. And I've been practicing Kundalini yoga and teaching it a bit for about eight years now. And that was a huge part of my awakening also, but having Dispenza put it in that framework where it's more intentional and there's um, so many profound teachings around it, whereas the teachings in Kundalini Yoga are somewhat, well, not somewhat, they're quite esoteric in many cases. Yogi Bhajan, I mean, you hear him talk or read his quotes, you're like, what is he talking about? Uh, it's not as tangible and relatable as what Joe's doing. And Joe has a more of a psychological framework built around it. But I really think that that, that type of practice is key in the healing amongst mm -hmm. many other things. And when I, I want to go back when I said like, oh, I think we'll always be healing the trauma. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. I just think that there's going to be nuances of things that we uncover in our subconscious mm -hmm. that reveal themselves over time. Uh, I don't, you know, I was sexually abused when I was a kid too, around the same age. And 
I mean, as I've done in the past year, quite a lot of plant medicines and things like that, I've really, in a visceral way, um, gotten the gravity of how negatively those experiences affected me and just changed the entire trajectory of my life and just wrecked my life, you know, to be honest. I mean, when I looked at that in therapy with an amazing spiritual therapist and she was like, well, how do you think this has affected your life? I'm like, well, it's affected my relationships, my ability to be intimate in a, re- in a way that feels really good to me. It's effect- And she goes, it affected your schooling. It affected your ability to have friendships. It affected your ability to be in class, to be present, to be, I mean, it's affected every single aspect of your life. Yeah. And I didn't really understand the gravity of that until she said that. And I was like, you're right. You're right. Because I remember the moment that I went into fight and flight and the like the shock that ran through my body. And I can still kind of feel it today. It's gotten a lot better. But yeah, it affects us in ways that we might not really realize until you have an experience with plant medicine or an amazing spiritual, you know, person that helps you see the full picture of, of that. Yeah. And I think this is why within the 12 step paradigm and specifically as outlined in the book called Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, after which that program is named, it talks about seeking outside help. And, um, I think that many people, including myself, because you find so much profound change when you really avail yourself to those principles that it's easy to sort of get stuck in that, I don't want to call AA like a rut, but it's, it takes you to a certain level of understanding. And I had had and continue to have a really profound spiritual experience. And my whole, the whole framework of my life is based on those principles. There's just no undoing that. Even though I don't attend AA anymore, I live those 12 steps every single day. Yeah, and it's it just, kept me happy, joyous, and free for the most part because of that work. Once you apply those, and they're not, you know, native to Alcoholics Anonymous, but they're just fundamental spiritual principles, right? And once you avail yourself to them, in my experience, everything changes. But they don't necessarily take you to the place of getting down to the core of the things we're talking mm-hmm. about now, like the real shit. And you address it. You write about it. You talk about it. It's It's excavated, that's what I'm looking for, um, to a degree. But in terms of the the profound healing of it to where it might not be part of your paradigm anymore, which I feel like with much of my trauma, it is actually being healed to the point where it's gone mm. now, which is really incredible. And I that's why I wanted to go back to what I said, like, oh, we're going to be dealing with these things forever. I don't, I don't believe that's true. I just yeah. think that there are... <laughs> As you said, on the path of deep healing, getting into the subconscious and the trauma and the limbic system and the actual brain part of you that's been hurt, you know, it's like if you have an injury in high school playing football and you have a bum knee, well, those of us that have experienced trauma have a bum brain, like we have brain damage. And I don't mean that, you know, put that on anyone, but that's just the physiological fact of how trauma affects us, right? And so... I really truly believe in my own experience that some of those original traumas can be healed where they're not there anymore. And the trigger has been uh, disconnected, you know, within mm-hmm. the brain, the the synapses that connect 
a current experience when someone walks in the room and I get triggered by something in the past that I'm not aware of. I yeah. believe that those can be healed and be and rewired. Is that through the plant medicine? You're, well, I know a, you're also doing neurofeedback, which I think is <laughs> really interesting because I've done neurofeedback yeah. many a times and maybe I need to go to whoever's doing your neurofeedback because I am not, I did not have that experience. There's there's a lot of things and we could cover some of them, uh, including those two. But what I think I wanted to kind of put a bow on was that even as some of those core wounds are healed, and I believe they can be healed permanently, especially with the power of God in one's life, the power Mm -hmm. of God and intention and us being willing to face them and really be diligent in our pursuit of healing. But there are also new things that come up. Like for example, last year I was in a car accident in Costa Rica after doing four ayahuasca ceremonies. And I felt fine. I wasn't, I didn't feel traumatized. I, I mean, I was a little scared. The car flipped over. I mean, it was no, it was no party, you know, but I didn't, I wasn't crying. I wasn't terribly physically hurt. A couple of people were a bit hurt. And thankfully, because I wasn't, I was able to be there for them and, and help them out of the car. And, you know, it's not something I would wish upon myself or those people, but I didn't really think it was a big deal. Fast forward to like a week ago, I'm up in Santa Cruz at a um, Yogi Amandeep Kundalini Yoga Retreat, who's an amazing guy, by the way, if you put him in your show notes, just fantastic human being, Yogi Amandeep. Uh, And I'm at this thing and I never let people drive my car really, and maybe like a girlfriend or something, but like if I'm out with the homies and we take a road trip, I always drive. I drive the whole time pretty much, especially on curvy roads. But a friend of mine was driving and he's younger and sporty and He's going around turns and I realized every time he would go around a right-hand turn or no, every time he would veer left in a left-hand turn, uh, I would get like all fight or flight and my body would lock up. And I was like, what's the big deal? And I was like, oh shit, that experience in Costa Rica locked in trauma from that accident because we were turning left and the guy driving didn't turn the car left when the road went left and we flew off the road and flipped over. And I was like, holy shit. So even though I might have largely healed some of those early traumatic experiences, mm-hmm. we do encounter new traumatic experiences, yes, no matter what best life yeah. we're living, like shit happens. There are divorces, yeah. there's business partners that turn on you and become evil. Mm-hmm. And there are things that we need to learn how to deal with as they come up. But I'll tell you what, they're a fuck of a lot easier to deal with if you've dealt with the underlying yeah. issues, right? Yeah, because it's like, you think it's one thing, but really it's a whole lot of things. And I will say that, um, yeah, these things, they come up for us. When you have the tools, though, it's it's just that it doesn't suck as bad. Yeah. I always think about the path of healing, and it's going to be difficult for people listening, maybe not for the people in the video, but imagine like a kind of a bar graph, right, where mm-hmm. where you have, um, you know, your trajectory on the path goes up and up and up and up and up on the graph, right? In terms of your level of fulfillment, satisfaction, happiness, joy, bliss, all of the things that we all crave in life. When you're really devoted to the path and you've truly surrendered to that experience, you steadily go up and you go up. But along the way, there's dips, right? There's dips where, fuck, you hit another trauma, you hit another wall, you hit another block. And then it seems as though you've dipped down to where you started from, but you really haven't, unless you relapse or something. Then I think you can go back. Yeah. All the way back. Yeah. Like way worse than it ever was on the graph. Yeah. But uh, going up and there are these dips, you know, and I think for for us on the path too, it's important to really remember that we're making progress even when we Mm -hmm. don't feel like it, if we're truly committed. And though, even though I, you know, you, you go through a breakup or you go through 
a career change or a loss of an attachment or loss of a loved one or something or an illness or a difficult birth experience or whatever it is that when you're in the middle of it, you're like, oh God, nothing's changed. I'm still suffering, but you're not. It's just, it's it's a next level of a learning experience on that trajectory and you're still headed up. And so I find now at this point, oh my God, especially this week, it's such a perfect week to do this, but I'm just being healed on so many levels. And the beautiful thing about like really having the courage and mm, the courage and the right kind of grace and help to take you back there safely to heal those is now I'm able to sit in a car and see, oh my God, my limbic system's mm-hmm. freaking out because we're turning left. Like I wouldn't have even known that. I would just be, ah, I don't feel like, good why today. Why is this happening? Yeah. But yeah, because you get the, to take your power back. Yeah. And the, the, the soil's been tilled and it's been cleared of weeds. And now when one appears, there's a disturbance in the forest that's so immediately apparent and easier to yeah. trace. It's not this nebulous, confusing sense of discomfort. It's, oh yeah, I flipped a car last year and we were turning left. Duh. I mean, it was so abundantly clear to me. And then in that moment, I didn't feel any shame in saying, hey, Mario Andretti, like chill, slow down. I'm, I'm triggered right now by your driving, even though it's safe. It's not safe to me because of a past experience. Yeah. And that's a somewhat trivial example, but it happens the same way. Imagine in relationship when you're you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband does something or says something that is completely meaningless and has no basis in them disrespecting you, wanting to harm you, et cetera. But to you, you experience it that way because there's this undiscovered and unobserved trauma. But once you begin to do the work and really heal some of that, then even in that moment, you could communicate to your loved one and say, hey, listen, I love you. I know you love me. And I know you didn't mean anything by the thing that just happened, but I'd love to share with you what my experience is. And I'm going to take responsibility for my experience. You didn't make me feel any way. My brain, body, nervous system is making me feel this way in response Mm -hmm. to something, in most cases, innocently that you've just done. And when you start to live your life on this level and you're with people in your intimate relationships that can go there and operate at that level, life becomes magical because you can move move through things so quickly and conflict becomes like, what? There's really not conflict because you can immediately... When I tell people, my husband and I have been married for almost eight years, and we don't fight. We've maybe had, I mean, I can count on one hand the amount of fights we had, because just just that, it's like, that didn't have anything to do with you. It had everything to do with me, and I can clearly see that that's something that I need to work on and, you know, go and meditate on or or whatnot, Um, and... Talk about intimacy, like that level of intimacy was something that I never expected that I could possibly have with somebody. And when you're able to communicate in this way and when you are doing your own work, and this is why, you know, the whole idea of like you complete me thing, it's like, no, we need to be on the path of wholeness. (laughs) That's not going to work out. (laughs) Individual wholeness coming together and enjoying each other's company. But then, you know, we could go on a whole tangent about that. But I want to dive in before we wrap up about, you know, how the podcast was born. And if you guys aren't listening to uh, Luke's podcast, The Lifestylist, might I suggest you do because... I mean, there's over 200 episodes now, if I am correct. Yeah, I think tomorrow's 256. Of just 
great information. And I have to be careful too, because I also can lean on the sign of of being like a hypochondriac and I can easily, I'm like, okay, am I experiencing this because I'm so hyper-focused on EMFs and all of this energy and stuff that I'm like creating this to be my reality? So it's totally. a balance, right? Like we have to figure out like, okay, I'm doing everything I can and then I have to let go. Um, but it's super informative and oh my God, I mean, just a few weeks ago, uh, Ben Green is it Greenfield? Green, Greenfield. Yeah. Oh my God, that episode. I could listen to that a hundred times <laughs> that over. That show was crazy. So good. That was crazy. Um, but you have experts on that that talk about different diets and where we get our food from. And um, then you have experts on EMFs and then about stem cells. And I, I mean, just so much really important stuff. Um, and I always encourage people on here. I, I'm not a doctor. Um, and while everybody needs a great doctor in their lives, it's also important for us to take charge of our own healing. Um, because what works for Luke or what works for me may not work for you. Um, so God, what an amazing resource your podcast is for people. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a gift. It's given me the opportunity to get a PhD and living your best life, man. Yeah. It's like the, you know, I get to sit down with a Joe Dispenza and just the most, you know, Gabby Bernstein and just, I mean, just on and on and on all of oh, these. Hers was amazing too. I was like, oh my God, mm. we have the same story. Yeah. So tell and me then, about it. We were looking at each other during that interview, like, uh, why are we not best friends? Yeah. Like we literally like have been on the same path, like walking side by side yeah. for so many I years. I mean, her story was really amazing. If you guys, you should listen to that episode. But when she started talking about the postpartum depression stuff, I was like, whoa, like, yeah, we're, I'm right there with you. And while I chose not to take pharmaceutical medication, the fact that she came out after so many years of being somebody who was all about alternative healing and healing yourself and therapy and the work and all that stuff and said, no, like I needed help. Yeah, that was brave. It was. That was brave. And I did, you know, it's funny. I did, I got an email, you know, sometimes I think people get triggered to the point where they'll, they'll actually go to my website and send me an email and someone sent an email like kind of complaining to me that I had someone on that took pharmaceuticals to alleviate their depression. You know, when I've had Kelly Brogan and so many people on that provide alternative solutions. Um, so I really do respect Gabby's willingness to kind of take those arrows because in, in the health and wellness space, that's such a faux pas. Well, I had to, I talk about uh, when I was, after my firstborn, before I really dove into this work in sobriety, um, I, I tried to do the pharmaceutical route, which is how I figured out it wasn't going to work for me and I needed to do other things. But I was having 10 panic attacks a day. I couldn't parent. I was suicidally depressed. And so my doctor put me on Klonopin for six months and it saved, not Klonopin, one of those, I don't know, one of those anti-anxiety medications. And it saved my life. I was going to kill myself. So what that medication did for me was it allowed me that period to go, okay, so what is this? It's a hormonal imbalance. Oh, I actually have MTHFR and I have COMT and all of these things are firing up and all it allowed me that time to go in and start doing that work. And then I got off of it. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an amazing, thank God for Western medicine sometimes. Yeah. I'm, I always talk shit about it, but at the same time, you know, if I get in a car accident, leaving here and knock on wood, uh, take me down to Cedars, you know, don't, don't yeah, take me don't to the- Don't take me to the shaman. <laughs> yeah, take me to Cedars. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but yeah, the, you know, the podcast has been, has been a real gift and it, 
after spending 17 years as a fashion stylist in a complete, I mean, you know, I don't want to disparage that career because I spent so long doing it and I love the creativity and the amazing artists that I got to work with and things like that, but it was not a soul fulfilling career for me. And I didn't know what to do. I had this other business school of style that paid my bills, luckily. Um, so when I made that transition, I think it was easier for some people because I had a business supporting me and I didn't have to be a stylist anymore. But when I stopped doing that, oh my God, I was just like, oh, freedom, Lord, hallelujah. And then to want to merge into the health and wellness space and and inspire people um, and teach people in the ways that I do, it was a really quick and easy way to do that. So it's been, you know, three and a half years. And now this is just what I do. I'm like, I got a whole thing going on here. And that past life is just completely gone. I don't care about it at all. It's I'm yeah. grateful for it. It's over. Brought me to where I am. But now I really have some incredible opportunities and the relationships I'm able to build with people and just the things I get invited to as a result of being in the world I'm in. You know, I just spent the weekend this past weekend doing two peyote ceremonies in mm. the desert. And I mean, it's just another, yet another profoundly healing, life-changing experience. And that came um, largely as a result of having the platform that I do and people being aware of me and knowing what I'm into and reaching out and offering experiences like that. And um, it's just incredible. Like, I can't believe how many doors this has opened for me and, and also now has become quite lucrative. It's like, whoa, I have a thing. Like, I have actually have a brand yeah. and I haven't even done anything with it. I don't have my own offerings or... And you're you know, still like very like creative. I mean, you, when I looked on your website and even just the photos you put on Instagram and all, your creativity is still shining through and you can really see that. I mean, when I saw your like one sheet, like podcast page with the most beautiful image I've ever seen in the background of you in the mountains, you must have been like climbing or something like that. I was like, this is gorgeous. And it just so resonates with me. And so you're still doing that creativity thing. It's just in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely true. I mean, I think that's when I started out, I, I didn't have a foothold in this side of the industry other than mm -hmm. a lot of years of subjective personal experience. And so I think that my background in fashion and stuff helped me differentiate myself in terms yeah. of branding. And I'm a little bit unique in this space. I'm, you know, a Kundalini yoga teacher, practitioner. I walk around in a black leather jacket. It's just how I roll. I just yeah. I have my own little thing going on that's maybe perhaps a little bit different. Or even from the biohacker guys that are super sporty and deeply into fitness, a guy like Ben Greenfield. I mean, yeah. we have so much in common, but in terms of how our brands represent are just so different. So it's been fun to actually curate the, um, the look and feel and kind of my own aesthetic. And now uh, the exciting thing about 2020 is now I've actually gotten to the point where I really believe in what I'm doing and have found my lane, so to speak. And so now I'm uh, planning a couple of retreats. I'm going to be working on a book. I was going to say, so, when are we going to have Luke's story online courses? Because I'm <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I will pay maximum dollars. Cool. I don't care. Please do it. That's that's in the pipeline for it's sure. Done. But yeah, yeah it's, it's exciting and daunting at the same time now because I've really been able to just kind of live my life and make a living out of that for the mm. past three years and have been, in a sense, I want to say negatively because I enjoy everything that I do, but kind of hiding with that because there's a certain... Um, complacency that is inherent to just producing content and getting paid for content. Producing yeah. content is really easy for me because I just live my life and document it, yeah. essentially. Yep. But coming up with my own offerings, such as a book, retreat, online courses, yeah. that's kind of the next step and um, requires a certain degree of commitment and, and confidence and faith. And of course, um, you know, 
the discipline to actually get it done yeah. and put it out. So that's what this year is kind of all about. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Everything's really come together in a very magical way over the past few months. And Mm -hmm. I'm in a new relationship that is already just incredibly beautiful and supportive and healthy. And I feel so empowered by the woman in my life. And and that's kind of a new experience for me in many ways. So um, yeah. The world is my fucking oyster, man. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm right here for that. Yeah. 2019 for me was a lot of. I felt like a lot of death, a lot of rebirth, a lot of like, okay, let's let's see, like, where are we going here? Like, what what where is this going to take you? And then, literally, the end of 2019, I was like, okay, it's clear now. I know what's going on, and all everything that I've that I feel like I've I've really need to work through. I've worked through, and I just feel really. I mean, I feel like I'm living a purposeful life every single day I wake up and I'm like, okay, this is, this is it. And I'm either doing things every day that are driving me closer and closer to that, you know, or I'm not. And so I just made that choice at the end of 2019. I'm like, wait, the world is your oyster. You can literally go and do all of these things that you want to do. It's just literally taking those steps and saying like, okay, I'm going to move every day a little bit closer towards this goal or whatever yeah. it might be. Um, Dude, that's funny you had that exp- You just described my 2019, really. It was uh, such a... It was for a, so many of us. Really? Yeah. It was a thing, huh? Yeah, All was, of my community of, of you know, spiritual uh, seekers, yeah. you know, were like, whoa, that year was brutal. And... Uh, you know, now we're in this new, the new decade, this new, I don't know, it feels fresh. Yeah. It feels really fresh. It does. Yeah. I'm excited. Last year, there was a lot of, a lot of healing, you know? Yeah. I mean, last year I did ayahuasca eight times. Wow. That and, you know, and I don't, I'll give the caveat for people that are in recovery. I'm sure many people listening mm. are. Uh, that's not something that I just did on a whim or took lightly. No. There was year, intention. years yeah. of contemplation, a lot of research, a lot of checking in, a lot of self-inquiry to lead me up to that point. And I yeah. don't, I mean, to be honest, I do recommend it for everyone, but I'm <laughs> I'm going to be responsible and, and not say that. Yeah. Um, if that's possible, because I just did say it, but... Um, for me, that just like sped up all of the things we're talking about of really healing some of those core wounds and trauma and just being able to see things in such a different light. And yeah. that um, that year, I think, was made more profound for me because of those experiences and just going, oh, whoa, there's a whole other level to this than I ever realized. And also um, a certain liberation for me um, coming from a paradigm of being sober, you know, like I'm not fucking around with that at all. Never, ever never will by the grace of God. Um, so availing myself to that has then opened up this whole kind of other world to me that I begin yeah. to explore a bit more. And it's just, um, it's incredible that now at this point in time, the availability of so many different modalities of healing and transformation are available and also thankfully super trendy. You know, there's always, yeah. a, there's always a downside to things becoming trendy. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I'm sure many people doing plant medicines unintentionally and perhaps irresponsibly, irresponsibly because and, it's trendy. Yeah. But that said, there are a lot of people doing it right. Yeah. And some of the traditions have been upheld and are being respected. And so we have those opportunities. But for people that aren't in line with that, you have the Joe Dispenza, you have all of these things. And yeah. I've, anything I ever hear of that's transformative, I'm just like, yep, yeah, and do it. Let's go. Yeah. Let's you know? try. Yeah. So there's, it's a, it's a really great time. 
Yeah. Well, where can my listeners follow along with you? Well, the social media platform on which I'm most active and hopefully engaging would be Instagram. I do a lot of stories, a lot of live feeds. Anytime I go do some kind of an activation, unless I get kicked out. I, I mean, like this last weekend, I couldn't exactly live stream the, you know, the peyote, <laughs> peyote ceremony. ceremony. But yeah. I, I do, like, when I do something like that, I document before yeah. and after. So if I'm doing neurofeedback, as you mentioned, or, you know, EMDR, or just like we could rattle off 200 things that I do on a regular basis that I think are um, in, informative to people. So Instagram is a great place to kind of see the real life, like raw, unedited no bullshit approach um, to healing and living a great life. And then my podcast, as you said, is called The Life Stylist. It's on all the platforms. And my website is lukestory.com with an E-Y, Luke Story, E-Y. Great. Thank you so much. Such Thank a good you. episode. I really enjoyed it. And I hope that you guys all have an amazing week. This week's affirmation is, I follow the path of my intuition, knowing that it always guides me in a divine way. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at recoveringfromreality.com or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 